I was, uh, I just want to say thank you, church, for all the kindness and love and prayer that you show my family and I and uh, the ministry there in Quebec, and uh, they are doing well. I just wanted you to know, continue to pray for them. Uh, they are meeting and having studies regularly. They're working on some new uh, some new pamphlets and contacts to be able to make contact with people post-COVID and all the restrictions that are up there. The door knocking or the door hangers like we do here may not always be so well perceived up there uh, post-COVID and God has given some ideas and they're working on that and I'm very thankful that they have that burden, that desire and want to continue to reach people for the Lord and I would ask that uh, you would open. How's that, Brother Joe? Better? So I appreciate your prayers, and it is a blessing that our family has been so well received, and we feel at home here, and thank you very much for your hand of fellowship and your care. And I pray for all of the new members, too, uh, that are coming to the church. Isn't it good what God is doing? People getting saved, people getting baptized, and the key is we pray that you will continue to walk in the grace of God. Uh, my wife was holding the baby, baby Abby. It's precious seeing the baby, but you know, that's not the sum of life. You get saved, it's precious, but it's just the beginning. Don't, don't quit on God at the beginning. The best is yet to come. What God has for you, continue going through it. And uh, it goes this morning, I had been wrestling, I tell you. Bob asked me, did my wife give me my message? I said, no, she gave me three. And so go figure. Um, and so the wrestling, I'm, what the Lord would want for today. And something kept coming to my mind. And as Philip and uh, Bronner kept singing that song, risen, risen. And uh, the Lord brought to me in Philippians in chapter 3 in verse 10, that I might know him, the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. And so I titled the message today, that I might know him. Through uh, the last little while, it just, the Lord keeps bringing this thought. A lot of things can distract us from having our eyes on the Lord. And uh, a lot of people can be disappointed or happy, depending, I guess, where your perspective is of the outcome of the election and all of this. And I don't want to get into the politics of it, except to say this. The world doesn't need a better government. The world needs Jesus Christ. Okay? And if those who have been commissioned by God, the local New Testament Baptist Church, will surrender to do what God has asked us to do, the change this country needs, the change this world needs, Christ alone can do that. And what they need to hear is who he is. There's a lot of ideology, a lot of stereotype about Jesus Christ. I go to wash my car. I'm not going to give them the advertisement. They do a good job. But I go to wash the car at a place, and they're always running Christian music. Uh, not necessarily like what we would have here. But as I was listening sometimes to the 
message of the words of some of those songs, I'm like, that's knowing a lot about him, but what about knowing him? There is a difference knowing a lot about someone, but actually having personal knowledge and relationship with someone. And what the people need to hear today in the world is the gospel of Jesus Christ. My wife and I were at uh, Hy-Vee getting uh, some supplies and she was looking for Christmas cards there and reading some of them over. And one of them was was referring to and the baby that was given to us. Now that for a religious person may seem okay because Christ was born that we set that time aside to remember that. But the power of God wasn't just the fact he was a baby. It's what his life, what he did in the, his life here on earth. And he's much more than just a baby. He's the son of God. The only begotten son of God. The living son of God. The son of God who gave himself and died for us. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And people need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, not tidbit facts about Jesus Christ. What they need to hear is, how do they come to know Jesus Christ? How do you come to know Christ as your personal redeemer? How do you come to know Christ as your savior? Salvation is not just some merry knowledge about Jesus Christ. It's not a bio that you're reading on a, on a resume you send in for a job application. The word of God was not given to us so that we can know somewhat about him, but that we can know him. And this verse here in Philippians 3.10 really sums up, as I reflected and chewed on this this week, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. And what we need to be reminded of, and God has blessed us this month of October and November with the messages and the missions conference, the revival, uh, the teaching that we received from the word in the book of Gideon, and then pastor reminding us Wednesday night, Jesus Christ is Lord. He's not just a good guy. He's not just an example. He's not just your best friend. He's Lord. There is a difference, and we need to get back to the reality that we know him. He's the prince of heaven. He's a prince of peace. He's the only one worthy when it comes in the book of Revelations. And where is that being taught? Where is that being acknowledged? Where is that being taken hold and in the hearts, and people are grasping the depth of what it is to come to Jesus Christ? As I was reflecting on this, we need more than just this summary knowledge of Jesus Christ, but we need what the Bible, we need to understand what the Bible says of Jesus, who he is, what he's done for us, why we have need of what he has done, because of our sins and the consequence of sin of man, why he alone can redeem us from sin's condemnation that separated us separated us for all eternity unless something is done we are born in this world we will die and leave this world separated from God our whole existence and that's the importance of the gospel of Jesus Christ
Because when the gospel is given as the word of God presents Jesus Christ, we learn the truth that God wants us to know. And through that truth, we can learn what God has done for us, what God's heart is for us, but it leaves us with a choice once we've understood that. But we have the option that through Jesus Christ, we can enter into a new life with God. We talk about life, and I was reflecting on this, and we're going to go in prayer in a few minutes, but I want to do a precursor on this and establish some things to this before we get into the message. Life is living. A lot of people are just waiting for life to be over. That's not God's purpose for giving us life. Life is living. And if you're so discouraged here today that you're thinking uh, of there's no purpose in life for you, let me say in this world there is no purpose. But in Jesus Christ, there's every purpose. Life is living. It's experiencing relationships that relate to that which is. Not which, what you're just looking forward to. When God saves us, he gives us life in Jesus Christ right away. It's not just when we will be get to heaven. It's not just when this life is over. But God wants us to live this life in Jesus Christ the day he gives us the new birth in Jesus Christ. Life is living. It's not abstract. It's not some idea. It's reality. It's a reality that is experienced. It's possessed. It's not a figment of the imagination. And even more so true of life of the new birth in Jesus Christ. That I might know him if we would give a little time to allow the Spirit of God to bring some reality. What does God want me to know about him? What have I been learning about him? Ask yourself. We're coming to the end of 2022 already. It seems like we've just begun it. What new thing? What thing has been refreshed about Jesus Christ that has become reality to you this year? God did not create man as some biological computer just to store some mere interesting facts. He created man for the purpose of having fellowship with man. Living, sharing life, having a relationship with man. God, creator of the universe. So when I come to God with a repentant heart, believing heart, from what I've heard and learned from what the word of God tells me, and having understood from God's word, my desperate condition that I am born in, that I live in, lost and spiritually dead before God, and my need, my great, greatest singular need I'll ever have and any person born in this world will ever have is the redemption of God and the work of Jesus Christ that God did for us. His works, the faith of Jesus Christ, those works that can save me. And if I hear what God has done, I understand from the word of God what God I said my condition is, and I repent and ask him with a believing heart. Then and only then, my friend, can I have life with him. Having life with Jesus Christ is not a life 
Because you know facts. There's facts in life. But that does not mean you have a living life. It's a relationship. It's a growing. It's learning. Hey, do you understand in relationships you do right and you do wrong and you learn to overcome and you learn to deal with that? And with Jesus Christ and we're walking with God, we're not always going to be perfect in our walk. But he's not asking us to be perfect because he's perfect. We need to, to come back to the simplicity. What God did when he saved us. Who, who He put us in, that we might know Him. And not be distracted with all the things that this world has that's in chaos. This world can live in chaos. They are in chaos because they're not in Christ. As we come here and we begin to look at our text in Philippians, I want to consider some things, hopefully by the grace of God, that will cause us to leave today with reflection about what it is I have in Jesus Christ. What it is I have in Jesus Christ. Father, I pray you would bless the message today. Lord, we need to hear from you. You have been speaking to us and you have been given messengers delivering the messages that the Holy Spirit has prepared. We have received and we've heard and We've been challenged with them, and I pray, Lord, that they will continue to bear fruit and effect in our lives, and that our faith will have been grown and edified, and that our relationship, Lord, will have been uh, drawn closer to you, and that we will see that you have a purpose for us in this life that you have made for us here in this world through Jesus Christ. And I pray, Lord, that you would bless your people. I pray for those who have yet to know Jesus Christ, Lord. I pray that the Word of God would draw them and they would come and seek to know more what the Word of God says. And for those who have accepted Him as their personal Savior, Lord, I pray we would not be negligent of such a life relationship with you. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our text here in Philippians should provoke some consideration on our part. Before we go, I'll just, let's stand and read chapter 3 of the book of Philippians. In verse 1, we read, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord to write the same things to you. To me, indeed, is not grievous, but for you it is safe. And if ever we're living in perilous times that would lead people away from maintaining a healthy spiritual relationship with Jesus Christ. That's today. So Paul is saying, I'm concerned about your relationship with your Lord. I'm concerned that you continue to walk close to him and that his effect and his grace and mercy will not be wasted in what he has done for us. He said, beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the the concision And we go down through there and he's given us all of this. And he talks about his confidence. Some people have so much confidence because of the things of the flesh. Knowing Jesus Christ has nothing to do with the strength of my flesh. It's a new life. A spiritual life. A life that I walk because he is the source of my life. 
We got to get our eyes off of ourselves and put our eyes to know Him. You know, the, the psychiatrists of the world say, you need to know yourself better. No, <laughs> don't need to know much about myself. I need to know everything about Him. Amen. I need to know everything about Him. And we come down here and we come and he summarizes how in the eyes of men he's, such, he's done much and he's a champion among them. But in verse 7, but what things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ. What he's saying here simply is, I gave up everything that made me somebody to become nobody so that I may have Christ. Because Christ is the sum of what's best for all of us. And so we begin to come down into this famous verse, but considering the context that it's in, yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ. What Christ knows, he wants us to know. Who he is, he wants us to know. What he can do, what he promises to do, he wants us to know. He wants us to rely on him. Not ourselves. Not our governments. Not our circumstances. Not our economy. Not our families. Consider as Paul is preparing, going down through this passage. And he says, I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ. To give up one thing that is counted useless to gain that which is excellent. And be found in him, Christ, not having mine own righteousness. Too much religion. Once everyone take notice of what they do. Let's forget what we do. That should... That, that, that should be nothing compared to what he's done and what he's doing. But be found in him not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. You may be seated. Several things struck me in this passage. The excellency of the knowledge. I'm so thankful that the pastor and Andrew give of their time the Monday nights. Especially for you new, new ones in Jesus Christ coming to know the Lord and the, the basic truths that will encourage you and strengthen you and, and settle you and ground you in your new relationship now that you're born again in Jesus Christ. The, this, this is the most excellent things you can learn. They will sustain you through any kind of circumstance in life if you take it to heart. This excellency of this knowledge. And he says here in verse 9, which is through the faith. And I want to ask a question. How important is every word of God? How important is every word of God? Because I want to to replace one little two-letter word with another two-letter word, and it totally changes the direction. You see, religion says, I have faith in Christ. I have faith in, in God. I have faith in... Oh, wait a minute. 
Consider what he says here in verse 9. That which is through the faith in Christ or of Christ. There's a difference. Faith in Christ is, that's my faith in that. But faith of Christ, his faith. He's the possessor of it. I'm a recipient of his faith. It was his faith that he allowed himself to leave heaven, to be born in this world, to, be, to be, leave the, the, the throne of heaven and, and his place of righteousness in heaven, to be born into this cursed world among men, to become nothing, to die as a, as a sinner for which he never was guilty of any sin, but he took the whole sin of the worlds upon himself. When Paul says that I might know him, let's consider just what Jesus Christ did for us. And for every person born in this world to give them the opportunity to have life before, with God the Father. The righteousness which is of God by faith. His righteousness. We need to really pay attention to the word of God. It's not faith in Jesus Christ. Yes, I can have faith in Christ, but the foundation is the faith of Christ. What I need to have faith in is this, this faith in the works of Jesus Christ that were perfect, that allows the sinner to be able to have a life with God. that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his suffering be made conformable unto his death. So consider the context of this epistle. To this church in Philippi. Think of this. I think we read often epistles, but we, we don't really think about the context of what these people's lives and what happened before this epistle was given to them. You understand, most of the New Testament, the epistles written of Paul, were not written when he was in the churches. He had spent much time, years with these people, preaching every, every day, every Sunday, and all. We don't have records of all those messages. But when God led him by the Spirit that he's going back to Jerusalem to be taken to Rome, and he's under house arrest. Much of the writings that we have in the New Testament were during that time. Not all, but much of it. And so they have known Paul for some time, and now he's writing back to them. Because he has concern that now that he's not there, what is their walk? What's their relationship with God going to be like? And we see here, he's saying that I may know him, the power of his resurrection, but the context of this church, I, I, I'm struck as I think of these three things. This church was started in the context where Paul and Silas and those with him were beaten. And they were put in jail. Acts chapter 13. Go back there and read the context of how the work in Philippi and what God was going to do in Philippi and how all that came about. Well, let's just take a minute and turn there, if you would.
excuse me, Acts 16, not 13. Acts 16. <clears throat> In chapter 16, verse 9, we see that Paul, he had, he had thought to go out and visit the churches in Asia, and he had made way to go back and visit them, but the Holy Spirit intervened and said, no, I, I don't want you to go there. And Paul is trying to go there from one place to another, and the Spirit just keeps intervening, saying, no, that's not where I want you to go. And then we see he has this Macedonian vision, the, the man of Macedonia saying, come. In verse 9, a vision appeared to Paul, and the night there stood a man of Macedonia and prayed him, saying, come over into Macedonia and help us. And after he had seen the vision, immediately we endeavored to go into Macedonia, assuredly gathering that the Lord had called us for to preach the gospel unto them. Therefore they loose from where they are. They begin to go, in verse 12, from thence to Philippi, which is the chief city of that part of Macedonia, and a colony. And we were in that city abiding certain days. Think about it. They're in Philippi. And then he goes into the Sabbath and he goes there and there's a lady with Lydia. She's not even from Philippi. She's from a little town outside and she's there and they meet her. And the Lord works and she believes, she hears, she believes the word of God that Paul is preaching. She gets saved, her house gets saved. And she's asking, and we have the house of Lydia and the church that's in the house of Lydia. But they're still staying there in the area of Philippi. And as you go through, you see that there is a, a, an affliction that begins to happen. In, in verse 22, And the multitude rose up to gather against them, and the magistrates ran off their clothes and commanded to beat them. And when they had laid many stripes upon them, they cast them into prison, charging the jailer to keep them. You know this story, Hopefully. The be happy church. Rejoice. Again, I say rejoice. Look at its roots. Look what it took for God to send a servant there and what that servant had to endure for there to be a church in Philippi. We finished our missions month and every one of these letters should be something we should be praying for. But I can tell you Every single one of these letters, there is a story behind there of a suffering and a challenging and an abuse for there to be a work of God there. They're not abiding with all the laws that would protect them and the Bill of Rights and all of that. And most of these countries allow them the freedom to worship God. Yet God has called these servants to go there and to preach the word so that the people there might know Jesus Christ. They were beat. They were cast in prison. Verse 25, if you'll turn there. Go down. And at midnight, Paul and Silas, because they know the Lord... Look at the difference of the excellent knowledge of Jesus Christ brought in the context of their suffering. Prayed and sang praises unto God. Amen. Philip, 
If we were up here and we were hitting you with a hockey stick, would you continue to sing that song? This is real, folks. This isn't some figure of the imagination. This is real life. This really happened. They were passing through their trials, their beatings, and their sufferings with praising God. It just doesn't make sense. But that's the difference of knowing Christ and having life in Him and being in this world. The prisoners, look at what it says, and the prisoners heard them. Whoa, that struck me. Can I say something? I'm, I'm so glad. I, I'm glad I have the privileges when I can, and I'm here to go out and do the door hangers and that. This church, I encourage every member of this church to do that. But you know there's something that has a greater effect on the community of St. Joe than putting a hanger on the door? When people see you going through a hard time, what's your spirit? What's your spirit when things aren't going the way you want? I tell you, that boss of mine, I tell you this, I tell you that. Really? We weren't beat. We, and by the way, they weren't just put in jail. They were put in the most dirtiest, the most darkest, the most coldest, damp part, the inner part of the prison. And those prisoners heard them singing, praying, and praising God. In the context, you know what this city needs to see? That the members of RBC know Jesus Christ in a personal, living way. And that whatever God allows us to be subjected to for circumstances, it's not going to change what our heart is towards God. What do folks hear from us in our trials? And can I say something? These men are just like you and me. They weren't superheroes. They didn't have armadillo armor on their backs for the beatings. No, they felt every hit, every pain, every discouragement that we will Except let this mind be in you. Paul admonished us. And what is it that would happen? Verse 26. And suddenly there was a great earthquake. So that the foundations of the prison were shaken. Immediately all the doors were open and everyone's bands. They weren't just cast in. But the Bible says they put irons on them. And it all came off. And the whole place shook. And the prison doors opened. Did that happen for you, Brother Mike, last week? Those doors shake and the prison shed? No. But you know what? They were singing and praying. And there was someone else in that prison that night. God himself. God himself. 
What made the difference to this jailer? What made the difference to the other prisoners hearing these guys singing and praising and praying? But when they had the chance to get out, when they had the chance to be able to leave the circumstances that were so undesirable, but that's not what God asked of them to do. They stayed. What happens to us when we faced circumstances we don't like? Do we forget maybe God has a purpose for it and we just want to pursue to escape it? Or how about seeking because we have a living relationship with the Lord, Lord, am I supposed to leave here or am I supposed to stay? God was there. The earth came, it shook. God was there, my friends. Consider he's speaking this to this church in Philippi and all these people of Philippi who were in the church knew the story of the beginnings of their church. And he's writing to them that I may know him. The power of his resurrection. The fellowship of his suffering. Look at this. The keeper of the prison awakes out of his sleep, seeing the prison doors open. He drew out his sword and would have killed himself, supposing the prisoners had fled. And Paul cried with a loud voice, do thyself no harm. The guy who had beat them, the guy who had put them in all of this misery. It could be, finally, God's going to give us justice. No. God's given occasion of grace. God's given the occasion of saving grace, my friends. Because just like God used grace to Paul who persecuted the church and killed and imprisoned many Christians, God's going to use grace to this jailer and use him for our church in Philippi. My friends, do we understand that if we give a little diligence to really give time in the Word to know who our Lord is, to examine our walk and our relationship with Him, the lasting and long-term effect it has, not just for us, but on others? There's something different about those people in Antioch. Oh yeah, there's something different about them. Yes, they were first called Christians in Antioch. Are we known as Bible-believing, Christ-loving, Christ-submitted believers in the church of RBC in St. Joe? Do our co-workers know us as people who who not only know about God, but know Him and fear Him and love Him, and are yielded that He could call on us to serve in any way He would want. I reflect on this. The beginning of the church in Philippi was from the powerful working of God Himself. Do you understand Every person who gets saved in the ministry by God's grace in this church is not the work of Brother Pastor Marshall or Brother Andrew or Brother Mike. It's the work of God himself. It's the work of God. We say it's the work of God, but do we try to wiggle our way in to get ourselves in the picture with God? 
God and God alone. My friends, we should count it a privilege that we, someone by God's grace brought us the gospel. And the privilege that God gave us a gift of repentance. Because repentance is a gift. The gift to have an open mind to change from our natural way of thinking to allow the Word of God to change and bring us into understanding by the light of Jesus Christ. So, I reflected on this, and I'll not get through this message, I can tell you that. But you can take and study, because the context is in this chapter. Know him. What is it we all must know that Paul is referring here, but to come to know who Jesus Christ is, what he's done for us, and why we need him? Not a person here this morning, and my friend, if this is the first time you've heard any preaching from the Bible of this sort, let me tell you, it's not because I'm preaching it, it's because this is what the Word of God says, and this is absolutely what you need to know. You need to know this more than you need to know your name. You need to know this more than you need an education. You need to know this more than you need a meal tonight. We'll pass lunch. Do you know him? Do you know him? First, you need to come to know him as your Savior and Redeemer. It begins there. The first thing a person needs to know about Jesus Christ is he's the Savior of the world. He's the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. When Jesus Christ asked his apostles, when all of these so-called disciples left him, will you go too? No. (coughs) Excuse me. Who do men say I am? Elijah. John the Baptist. There's a lot of identities given to Christ. But who does the Spirit of God say he is? Thou art the Son of the living God. Outer Son of the Living God. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and Redeemer, I beg you today, you come and give some time to find out. If you don't have the moment to do it today, don't tarry. Set up a time. Someone will set up with you and open the Word of God because this is the most essential thing you need to know, even more important than breathing air. Second of all, you need to know him as your Lord, as pastor preached. A lot of this gospel out there is, you need to get saved from hellfire. (laughs) It's a living life, my friend. It's not just a once occasion. A living life. It means you have a relationship. It means you have a position. He's Lord your redeemed servant. Thirdly, you need to know him as your friend. Because there's going to be a lot of times when things happen in life, you can't figure out why. A friend that sticks closer than a brother. A confidant when you are seeking God's direction. 
Someone who can say, my peace I give unto you. He says to you, my peace I give. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. There's a lot of things that knowing him benefits every person who will come to him in ways they have no way of understanding, to depths that they could never even perceive or conceive. And for a time, that's not just for the day, it's for all eternity. How then shall they call upon him in whom they've not believed? How shall they believe in him whom they have not heard? How shall they hear without a preacher? How shall they preach except they be sent? As it's written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. I'm going to cut it short because of the time. But I want to challenge every one of you, members of the RBC, you take this week and you set a time in your devotion, your prayer time, and you start just taking down a little list. I know him as this. I know him as this. I've experienced him as this. And see what that little exercise will do to kindle an awareness and a fire, a desire of a greater depth of a relationship with the one who loved you and died for you. Power of his resurrection gives lasting hope, my friends. The power of the resurrection. Verse 21. I'll go back here to Philippians. Verse 21 of chapter 3. Who shall change our vile body that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. That change is the resurrection of the believers. The Lord's going to come, and a twinkling of an eye, he's going to take those that have been bought by his blood out of this world, and we will see him face to face, and guess what? We'll be changed forevermore. Forevermore. Never struggle with the, 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 the ties of the flesh anymore. We will be like Him. A hope that's everlasting. A hope that's everlasting. Jesus said unto her in John eleven twenty five, I am the resurrection, the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. My favorite part of this is, just turn, I'll take a minute. Andrew said I had until 12.30, so. <clears throat> Revelations chapter 1. Verse 7. Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him, and they also which pierced him. All kindreds of the earth shall well because of him. Even so, amen. I... Christ speaking. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which is, which was, which is to come, the Almighty. I was reflecting on knowing Him, and this is my favorite passage in the Scriptures. 
I believe it's a passage that meets the time and the hour we are. That we need to be reassured who he is. When John the Baptist was in prison, and he's about ready to lose his head, he sent some of his apostles, his disciples to Jesus. Art thou the one? Art thou the one? He needed that reassurance. He needed, and maybe today you need that reassurance. And can I tell you, God's always faithful to reassure us. He is. He's always faithful to reassure us. And we see here, John is saying, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day and heard behind me a great voice as a trumpet saying, I'm Alpha and Omega, the first, the last, what thou seest, write in a book and send it unto the seven churches which are in Asia. And he goes through these churches and he says, I turned to see in verse 12, he, the voice that spake to me and being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. And in the midst of the seven, which are churches, by the way, one like unto the Son of Man, what's he doing? My friend, this one that Paul says, know him, believe him, look to the resurrection he's promised, to the change when you're in Christ, a new creature in Christ. He's walking among the church. He's walking among the lives of the people in the church. He knows what's happening every moment, every instant, in the life of every one of us. He knows the heartache, he knows the joys, he knows the, the dreams, he knows the dashed dreams. He knows the fears, he knows the pride. He knows everything about us. And he's saying, I was, I am, and I'm the one that will always be. Know him. Know him. Andrew is preaching on the home. This is not a time and era where a lot of people like to hear Bible teaching on the home. It can be fearful to live the way God wants you to live. But remember who's walking with you. Remember who's there to say, I'm going to help you. Yes, when God speaks to us and says, child, you need to do this. You need to start doing this in your life. I don't know if I can. Whoa, 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 whoa. That little tap on the shoulder, he's right there. Yeah, you can. Come on, give me your hand. I'll show you. We're going to do it. Because there waits a great blessing, a great joy, a great reward for those who will do the will of God. when we've attained to know who he is and we trust in his promise of his resurrection and we understand what the resurrection will do for us, then when he asks of us to endure a suffering, it's not unreasonable. That order is there. It's not unreasonable. Verse 10 of Philippians chapter 3. Know him. The power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his suffering. Who fellowshiped in suffering? We saw Paul and those with him, but you know, people like Joseph, his own brothers wanted to murder him, but he was worth more alive than dead, so they sold him. 
and then he's falsely accused and he's put in prison. Just look, there's many people in the scriptures who feared God, honored God, and looked to God, who didn't understand all that God was about doing, but yet God allowed their life to live a life of suffering to bring great deliverance. To bring great deliverance. Daniel, his friends, Jeremiah the prophet, Mary the mother of Jesus at the foot of the cross. Could you imagine being Mary? The apostle Paul here. In chapter 9, Ananias, when Paul is on the road to Damascus and he sees the light and all that, and then the Lord calls Ananias, go to Paul and he says, you're going to speak to him and tell him the things that I tell you, and you will show him the great things he must suffer for my name's sake. Esther, Mordecai, we heard the messages on that. Brothers, sisters, there's only one way we can become conformed, and there's an order. Verse 10 has an order. You've got to know him. You have to experience the power of his resurrection. You have to be willing to walk in the fellowship. By the way, fellowship of his sufferings means you're never alone. It's not isolation. You're never alone. To come to the last part, being made conformable unto his death. Conformable. How do we make ourselves conformable unto his death? Philippians, here in chapter 3, verses 13 to 15, he says, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, or to grasp, or to have taken hold, or to retain understanding of, in perfect sense. But this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, reaching forth to those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. How do I become conformable? I can't attain that level until I have been willing and I've been diligent in the first three. But I can't hit the second until I've done the first. And I can't hit the third until I've done the first and the second. And only when I've allowed myself willfully submitting to God, as Romans 12, I beseech you therefore, brethren, will I be able to become conformable unto his death? What is it about his death that we're conformed to? We die to self. We die to self. I don't know what God would have for you here today for this message that he had put on my heart, except to say this. We just had Veterans Day, and we remember sacrifices made. But every day should be the Veterans Day for the Lord Jesus Christ for the sacrifices he's made for us. The willingness that he has given so that we might have life. A living life. An active life. A lively life. And that in abundance.